The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. The first 16 years of my life were spent on a farm in South Dakota. I was raised by my grandparents, and uh, they were wonderful people, treated me like a son. I think my grandfather hoped, he had all daughters, uh, so he hoped that I would take over the farm. Well, it became clear to both him and me that I was not cut out to be a farmer. I I won't go into the details. It's not pretty. (laughs) I just wasn't very good at that. But I have wonderful memories from uh, growing up with him and my grandmother on that farm. And I especially have one memory that has stuck with me through the years. It was uh, a late summer and a late afternoon. Uh, And you know how beautiful the sun is as it's near the end of the day. It was just golden. And we were standing on the edge of an oat field, 
and the oat field was ready for harvest. Now, if any of you have seen a wheat field or any grain field that's ready for harvest, and you see the wind blowing over it, it's like a, a golden ocean. It is just spectacularly beautiful. And we were standing there looking at the field, and my grandfather, who never wore his religion on his sleeve, in fact, I think this is the only time I remember him referring to God, he said, this is a miracle. He said, the only thing that I did was prepare the ground and plant the seed. And he said, God did all the rest. It's a gift from God. I have thought back on what he said many times, and I think it was a very clear statement of how he understood his relationship with the land. The land was very important to him. But I think he also saw in that that this was the way God expressed God's self by giving us all of that and for very little that we could offer. Well, I think that for those of us who are not close to the land, those of us who don't have the experience of, uh, of harvesting a crop, many of us are working in ways where all that we really see as a product of our labors are abstract things. Sometimes it can only be measured in numbers or in dollars. But I think because of that, we have lost sight of the importance of stewardship in our life as a Christian. Stewardship is at the center of our Christian life. And I say that because one of the recognitions that we eventually, I think, come to is that all that we have has been given to us by God. And we are simply stewards of that. Well, today we have a parable that is uh, interesting and also troubling in some ways. And I think there are two things from it that I hope we, we will glean one is a, a better understanding of stewardship, and the second is an understanding of the nature of God. I think it's important to say at the very beginning that this parable has unfortunately been used through the centuries as, uh, as a warrant for anti-Semitism. And even today, there are Christians who believe that this text makes it very clear that the Christian church takes the place of Judaism in terms of the promises of God. That is false, and we need to say it's false. So that's the first thing I think we need to set aside, but remember always that there are these texts that can be so troubling because of how they've been used, uh, in, especially in an anti-Semitic way. The second thing that I'll say is that uh, this text was uh, certainly important as Matthew wanted to use it for his community which was probably after the destruction of the temple in 70. And there was this great tension that existed between Jews and Christians, as many of those Christians had come out of Jewish households. So Matthew, I think, also wanted to use this to set this difference between the, the Jewish community and the Christian community. But I think we can hear other things in this parable. It's a simple parable, but not simplistic. As with all parables, there are many layers of meaning. But it's a parable about a, a, a landowner land who developed a vineyard, all the things necessary for it, and then hired tenants to care for it. So it comes time for the harvest, and he sends his servants to collect the harvest. 
And the tenants, of course, uh, uh, they beat up and eventually kill one of the tenants or one of the uh, one of the servants. So the, the landowner sends even more servants to come and collect what was rightly his. And they, too, are beat up. So finally, he says, I'll send my son. They will respect him. He sends the son. The son is beat up and finally killed. And then at the end of that, Jesus asks, what will be done with those tenants of the vineyard? And the elders of the temple are the ones that respond. And they say, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their season. Now, we need to put this parable in context, at least in terms of the way Matthew presents it in Jesus' life. This is during Holy Week, early in Holy Week. Jesus had made that triumphal entry, and even the children had called him the son of David, which is a a, a title reserved for Messiah. So Jesus was really coming in on a high with the people. He then casts out the money changers from the temple, which you can imagine gets him in trouble with a lot of folks. And then the, uh, the, the elders of the temple realize they must challenge this guy because he's becoming more and more dangerous. So they ask him by what authority he would do these things. And Jesus replies, they challenge his authority three times. This is the second of three parables. Last Sunday we had the first one. This is the second one, and there'll be one more. So Jesus responds to them with these parables, and this one today. And I can't help but wonder, at what point did the elders figure out that Jesus is talking about them in terms of being bad tenants, the ones not taking care of the vineyard? And certainly Jesus also, in presenting this parable and talking about the son being killed, was letting them know that he understood what their plans were for him. So this was a kind of moment of truth between Jesus and the elders of the temple. And without being blasphemous, which they hoped he would be, because then they they would have something on him and they could certainly arrest him, Jesus makes it clear to them that he is the Son of God. Well, like all good parables, there are many levels to this. First of all, I think it was effective for Jesus as he responds to the challenges to authority and why he could do what he was doing. But I think also it's it's a very precise description of human nature. And I think especially for us to consider it that way, I think will be helpful. It's easy for us to think of our church as ours. And clergy are particularly susceptible to this. We'll many times in conversation say, my church. And we can easily fall into the idea that this is all ours. And what we're building out here, this is ours. But the truth is that we are just the stewards. We are tending the vineyard. And the responsibility that we have is to bear fruit. And we're bearing fruit not for us, not to get our numbers up, Not so we have more pledge income. It's not for that. It's for God. So that all of that, the numbers may be being higher, people coming and coming to to an understanding of God in a way that they had not understood God before, or people giving money to the church so the church can reach out in, in many different ways. All of that is not for us, but it is for God. 
I think that's that's the first thing that we need to keep in mind. But that idea of being a steward doesn't end there. We are stewards of all that God has given us. And I think there are reminders of this that we have been given through the church year and in in church life, but also in nature. There are a number of of, uh, good Trinity members I know who find being out in nature on a Sunday morning is a glorious thing and sometimes more glorious than being here. (laughs) When we're out in nature and we see what God has given us, this incredible creation that we've been given, We must at some point stop and think, what's our responsibility in terms of caring for what God has created for us? I think that that's one of the things we need to hold on to. And and this, uh, for many churches, is uh, Creation Care Sunday when we remind ourselves that we are the stewards of God's creation. But there are other things that, that remind us of our responsibility to acknowledge this gift from God in our life. We, we do that when we realize that one day a week has been commanded to be set aside out of that whole week that's been given to us. One day a week to be given back to God in some way. Those who uh, set aside a time for personal prayer or meditation are setting aside a time out of the whole day that they've been given to give back to God in a way. And then in our liturgical calendar. We have an entire season that, in a sense, is, is, a, is a pledge back to God of time, Lent. We set aside Lent as, as a holy time for a special relationship with God as we grow deeper in our relationship with God. So in many ways, I think, we are reminded that God gives us all these things and we give back a small amount. Now, we can uh, fall into the trap of believing that we own what we have retained and even own what we gave. But in truth, we've owned nothing of it. Only God can fully own. Only God can fully possess. Now, there's another meaning, I think, in this text that we need to see because it has to do with the nature of God. Throughout that parable... Uh, God can be seen as the owner of the vineyard. And even though these tenants uh, beat up and kill the people that are sent to get what is rightfully the owners, God never responds by raising the ante on violence. Nowhere in this in this parable does God respond in a violent way. But rather, what God does is respond with grace We see the ones that respond in terms of violence. You know, the only ones that said what should happen to these tenants were the elders of the temple. They said uh, those uh, miserable people, they ought to be put to a terrible death. But God doesn't say that. And the thing that I think we need to remember is that God writes a different ending for this parable. And that ending is found in the resurrection, as we celebrate it especially on Easter Day, but also... We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when we come to church and gather together for worship. Well, today we begin our annual pledge drive and our in-gathering will be on November 2nd, which is All Saints Sunday. And today you'll be able to pick up uh, uh, the pledge packets in the back of the church. 
And I think it's important for me to, to say that this is pledging for the operational budget of the church. It's the pledging to keep uh, our ministries going uh, day to day as a part of, minis- of part of Trinity's ministries. It's not the capital campaign. So please keep those things separate in your mind. But my hope is that as you consider what you might pledge for the coming year, that you'll think a bit more about all that God has given you, not so much focusing on can I can I afford to do this or is is this the right amount? Those questions need to be asked. But the bigger question is, do I understand my life to be given to me by God? Everything about it, even faith comes from God. I think if we can come to that point where we realize that God has given us all that we have, we will have accomplished a major thing in terms of our spiritual growth, and especially around the idea of stewardship. This afternoon, we're going to have the blessing of the animals, and it's uh, one of the high points for me, at least. I love those pets that are brought here and uh, our opportunity to bless them. And please bring the cats in cages, by the way. (laughs) But they, too, are a reminder to us of God's goodness. So this day, let us give thanks for all that God has given us. And in giving thanks, may we remember that this is a God of grace and of mercy. This is a God who forgives us when we think we are unforgivable. This is the God that loves us loves us unconditionally. And for all that, we give God thanks and praise. Amen. Amen.